You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. driving through Pigeon Forge last week with the family and on the side of the mountain uh, they were building a, a new house and in fairness it didn't really look like a house at all it was just uh, dirt and, and concrete and piles of rebar and it was evident that they were just getting started and one of our children uh, looked out the window of the car and said what is that? I said well buddy that's that's a foundation and he said well, what is a foundation? And I said, well, uh, it's something they build so the house doesn't fall. And he said, why do they need a foundation? I was like, I think I just answered that question. But, uh, well, it needs a foundation or the cabin will fall off the mountain. And he said, how do they build a foundation? And I said, buddy, I'll, I'll tell you when you get older. Because um, usually that's what I say to them when I don't really know the answer to the question they ask me. And my children, most children, just have a way of exposing all the things that we uh, probably should know but don't know in this life. And so, sure, I I don't know exactly how they build foundations, but I definitely know the importance of them. I know that without a a solid foundation, the house will fall. Even Jesus taught this in the Gospels, if you will look at uh, Luke 6, 48. It said, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. So when a flood arose and the stream broke against the house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. Simply like when you and I, when we build our life on Christ the rock, your foundations, the floods may rise, the streams and storms may come against the house, but it will not be shaken. Your life is well built because it is built on the foundation of Christ. But what about all those other foundations around you? What about all the people, uh, the friends, the family members, the governments, the institutions, the cultures around you that want nothing to do with Christ? I mean, maybe your foundation is solid, but what, what, what are you going to do when everyone else's begins to collapse? That's the question we're going to answer today from the text. What should we remember when it seems like it's all falling apart? When you look at the wickedness of people, when you see the hypocrisy and and evil of many in the government, when you begin to notice that the school systems and the institutions that were once strong look nothing like those of the past, when the culture begins to fracture into self-serving individuals that really don't care about their neighbor, Sure, like maybe your foundation is strong, but what is that? Does that really mean everyone else's and everything else's is? So this is a song from David to help us remember what is important uh, when, it, when it certainly feels like it's all falling apart. Uh, I'll be in Psalm 11 in the Sacred Exhortation series. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. 
you have a bulletin, all of that main passages in your bulletin. And as we do every week, we'll pray and then walk through uh, the text together. So let's pray and then we'll read. Father, we are uh, just humbly thankful to come before you to, uh, to hear your words, respond to your word. And God, help us, help me to even know what we're doing here. To even pause long enough to, to, to wrap our minds around who you are. That you would even hear us. That in your sovereignty, as we looked at last week, that you would even see us and care. And not just care, that you would send your son Jesus to intervene upon your wrath. And not just to send Jesus, but to give us your word in an ever-changing world, just to, just to pause. And hopefully every day, but to pause this morning and, and look at unchanging truth. God, help us as we, as we walk through Psalm 11, uh, knowing full well it, it certainly feels like it's all falling apart. So God, teach us uh, what, should, what she, we should remember as we go through Psalm 11, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So this is Psalm 11. It says, To the choir master of David, In the Lord I take refuge. I mean, how can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. And they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark of the upright and heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and Scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, and he loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. As is evident in the text, this is a song to the choir master of David, and David gives us context to this song uh, right there in verse 1 when he says, In the Lord I take refuge. And David, he's seeking refuge in the Lord from a man named Saul. And what's wrong with Saul? Let's just quickly go through some of the background. The people of Israel have begged God for a king like all of the other surrounding pagan nations. And God provides a king for them in their selfish demands by giving them a man named Saul. So Saul, around 30 years old, uh, becomes king over Israel. You can read that account in 1 Samuel 13, 1. A few chapters later, we get to chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, and we find out that, hey, maybe Saul's not that great of a king. And he's selfish, doesn't fully obey the Lord, and so the Lord tells his prophet Samuel that he, he regrets and he rejects making Saul king over Israel. Turning one chapter over, we get to 1 Samuel 16. Samuel, the prophet, anoints David as king over Israel, the only problem is David's, he's still a young shepherd. Meaning the Lord knows David is king. David knows David is king. 
But Saul and the rest of Israel, well, they haven't really found out yet. So what we find is a narrative after narrative of, of jealousy and tension in this relationship dynamic. It's the David's rise to the kingdom and Saul's jealous decline. And in that decline, Saul seeks to kill his successor. Like with an evil spirit in his heart, Saul's furious that David would take the throne. And so Saul seeks to kill David. That's the context of Psalm 11 and many of the Psalms that we'll study. David's going through it. He is God's anointed king. He is faithful. He's righteous. He's a man of conviction and integrity. And yet his life seems like it is falling apart. So we have these wise and these, these humbling words right there in verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. David, knowing that he, he cannot change his circumstance, but certainly change his attitude. And his attitude is that the Lord will be his safe place, his haven, his refuge, even as the world burns. But something happens, as you see in verse 1. Uh, David shares insight to what his friends have to say. David's life is in chaos, and then those uh, closest to him are going to give him, some, honestly, some pretty bad advice. Uh, which is a good reminder, before we look at that, that just because people close to you are giving you advice does not mean that is that it's God honoring righteous advice. It's good. It is good biblical to hear from those close to you, but listen to that through the lens of the Bible and the advice they give to David, right there in the second half of the verse one. Flee like a bird to your mountain. Comes from First Samuel twenty six twenty. It says, Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. David is, he's shocked by the news. Like, how could they possibly tell him to run away again? He's tired of running. The Lord is his refuge. And yet, behold, look at verse 2. Looking at verse 2, look and see that the wicked are at hand. That the wicked have their arrow knocked and ready. The wicked are, are going to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. That's how evil seeks to kill. Not in the middle of the day, not in the obvious and the upfront, but in the dark, the foundations are destroyed. So please, please don't listen to this message as if everyone in this church or every other church is righteous and then everyone outside of church is wicked. This is not a message. Psalm 11 is not a message about us versus them. Um, that's not what David is warning us about. Sure, the Philistine pagan Goliath tried to kill David, but this is a song about God's appointed King Saul that was trying to kill David. Wickedness destroys foundations of all kinds under the cover of darkness, and we are seeing wickedness destroy secular institutions uh, that once had like some level of moral competency, and sadly, now we are seeing wickedness destroy local churches and seminaries and even entire denominations. It wasn't always evident, and it wasn't always obvious. It was wicked, wickedness plotting to kill and destroy in the dark. And that happens inside and outside of the church. And that happens inside and outside of relationships. And that happens inside and outside of even maybe your own families. What do we do? I mean, that's the question posed 
at the end of verse 3, looking at the text, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteousness, what can the righteous do? Um, I know, I know every generation thinks the younger generations are the one that's just messing this all up. Um, that mentality is nothing new. People have thought like that for decades. I, I will say something does feel different now. Uh, maybe it's the rise of technology. Maybe it's the globalization uh, from the internet. But things feel different. It's as if someone pressed the fast-forward button on foundations being destroyed. And maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe it's just me getting older, uh, and I hope I am, but maybe I am wrong. But things on a global, national scale certainly feel like they're falling apart. And if we're honest, there's so many times in our own personal lives that it, it, it feels like we're falling apart. What do we do? What can, what can the righteous do? And David gives us three things that we can do, three things that we can remember from Psalm 11. That's the question we'll answer from the text. What should we remember when it seems like it's all falling apart? Here's point one from the text. Remember the Lord is in his holy temple. Verse four, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And that is massively encouraging for two powerful reasons. First, the Lord dwells over us. He dwells in his holy temple, his temple that is, is set apart from all wickedness and pain, his temple that is full of honor and righteousness and full of his glory. It's so easy for us to forget how, how small we are in the grand scale of things. It's so easy for us to become arrogant, like maybe we built all of these things around us. And so the wicked will say, look how far I've come. Look how far I've advanced. Look how hard I worked. Look what I built. Look at me. Look and see what I did. And the wicked foolishly believe they've, they've built their own lasting kingdoms. And the wicked foolishly believe that they have their own temple. And they're the ones that sit on their thrones. And they... They failed to see uh, that their little kingdoms can be destroyed by a recession. Uh, they failed to see that their kingdoms can be destroyed by a cancer diagnosis. They failed to see that their kingdoms can be destroyed by a car accident. So see the truth. We, we build fragile kingdoms on selfish and shaky foundations. And the massively encouraging reality is that we serve a king that's nothing like that. He is in his holy temple. He is not like frantically pacing the hallways of glory trying to figure out what to do next. He's supreme. He's in control. He's sovereign. It, it might seem like everything to us is, is falling apart around us, but we serve a king with an unshakable foundation of an everlasting kingdom. It's, it's literally what the angel Gabriel told Mary, Luke 1, verse 32, He, being Jesus, will be great. We called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, they can certainly remember that their king will never have his foundations destroyed. The Lord is over us. But secondly, and I'm still on point one, secondly, the Lord dwells in us. Of course, the, well, the Lord dwells on high, but as some of us have studied in the Wednesday night study group, he is omnipresent, meaning the Lord can dwell on high and at the same time dwell in us, or more specifically, that the Spirit of God dwells in us. I'll prove it. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who do does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Growing up, um, <clears throat> I was pretty much scared of everything. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone here. And um, I think most children are. That most children are pretty scared to be alone. Uh, it's scary. Their imaginations run wild, and maybe their parents, uh, my parents would be out visiting a friend, or maybe they were running an errand, and they were never gone long. Um, I would just still become fearful. And the implications of verse 4 is that even though the Lord dwells in heaven, the Spirit of the Lord dwells in us, that God is with us, God with us. He doesn't go on vacations. He never visits a friend or a relative. He never has like a list of errands he has to go out and run. God dwells in his house, and then God dwells in us. So please don't forget that when it feels like it's all going to be falling apart. Remember that the Lord dwells in his holy temple. What should we remember when it feels like it's all falling apart? Point two, remember the Lord tests his children. The Lord tests his children. I took a class um, in seminary called Ancient Near Eastern History. Uh, the professor would assign these uh, weekly reading assignments and then a quiz at the end of the week. And it was an open book quiz, so should be easy enough. And uh, problem is I took every test and I failed miserably. And I would study and I would take notes and I would highlight and I would pray like anything uh, to get me past these tests. And I would just fail every time. And I emailed the professor uh, to ask what I was doing wrong uh, and to ask if he could give me any advice on how to study for these quizzes. And he wrote, replied with uh, kind of like a one-sentence response, like, you just need to read more carefully. And now I'm not going to tell you all of the unchristian thoughts I had after reading that email. Um, I am going to tell you that, that the testing from God is not the same as the testing from man. So the Lord is not looking down from heaven thinking like, I wonder if they get it. I wonder how much they actually know. Uh, uh, how about I just make their life really difficult, then we can find out. The Lord is not looking down from heaven thinking, I wonder if they, they like really believe what they say. I wonder if they're really as righteous as they pretend to be. It's not how this thing works, so... I guess the question is, why would a teacher give students a test 
when the teacher already knows what his students know, think, and then will even do? Why, why would the Lord test us at all? Um, I believe the answer is built into the passage because the word for testing in these verses 4 through 5 really means to examine, that the Lord isn't examining us to prove our faith is real to himself, but to prove that our faith is real to us. The Lord examines us to prove to us that we are truly children of God, and that we will truly overcome trials by faith. It was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. And it was J.I. Packer who said, God uses chronic pain and weakness along with other afflictions as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. So the weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. I'm not sure why every trial or test or examination arrives when it arrives. I'm not even sure why some Christians seem more tested than others. I'm just sure that whatever difficulty we face as followers of Christ, it's designed to drive us to Christ all the greater. James 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The foundations may shake and even crumble. The wicked might even be plotting in the dark. Your life might be crisis after crisis, but it's not for nothing. It's not without purpose. It's preparing for us, as Scripture would tell us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The Lord tests His children, so... What should you remember when it feels like it's all falling apart? Point three, remember the Lord loves righteous deeds. He loves righteous deeds. If you're looking at verse five, sure, the Lord tests the righteous, but you notice he doesn't test the wicked. The Lord of hosts, the king of heaven, hates the wicked and the one who loves violence with the depths of his soul. So David isn't singing about the Lord testing the enemy. David is singing about what the Lord has promised to do to the enemy. Verse 6, the Lord will rain coals on the wicked. Fire, sulfur, scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. So let me say this carefully and clearly. If you are not in Christ and Christ is not in you, you are an enemy of God. And the enemies of God will one day experience the full wrath of God. Hell is not a place where Satan is allowed to punish individuals for not being Christians. Hell is a place where God fully unleashes his wrath on those that reject him as king. Romans 1.8, just so you think I'm not being mean. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then Psalm 75, 8, for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, and it's well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked 
of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. So we serve a God of justice. And I promise you there will be justice. And that 18-year-old that walked into Robb Elementary in Texas and murdered 19 children and two teachers, he's not relaxing in some non-existent reality. He's drinking from the cup of God's wrath for all eternity. And so the wicked, as the text says, might plot in the dark, but the wicked will experience the wrath of the Lord forever. And since God is holy and just, I would say it's not just the bad guys and gals that are his enemies. As Romans 3.23 says, we all fall short of his glory, meaning we are all the bad guys and gals. We will all drink from the same cup of wrath unless Christ intervenes in our life, and then praise God, he does. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That we are made righteous because the Lord is righteous, and that's not just some like theological idea for us just to rest in. It also becomes who we are, our identity, and moves us to action. So verse 7 this morning doesn't say he loves righteous ideas, which he does. It more specifically says he loves righteous deeds. Meaning there are, there's really no excuse for the believer not to walk in righteousness in this world. Just because your temptations are great. And just because our, our co-workers can be cruel at times, just because your family is messy, just because your finances aren't great, none of it is an excuse from the Lord to neglect righteous deeds. Even in the darkness of David's life, it wasn't an excuse for him to sin against Saul. Even when all the men around David like pleaded with him to kill his enemy, David felt this conviction from the Lord to still continue to walk in righteousness. This is 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 6. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do these, this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David, David was the one that persuaded his men with these words and did not per- permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. It doesn't matter if the world is falling apart or even if your own world is falling apart. We're not given a free pass to walk in sin. The Lord loves righteous deeds, so even when the foundations are crumbling around us, we'll choose to continue to walk in righteous deeds. There was a small wooden trail on the property of, of our last church, and I, I, I just started on the trail when my mom picked up the phone. And I told her that my wife, uh, Corey, was pregnant, and even as I said it, I didn't believe it. Seven years of marriage, she had never been pregnant. I sat in the doctor's office uh, with my wife at the eight-week checkup. The doctor showed me our child on the ultrasound didn't believe it. Every doctor's appointment, I was expecting terrible news. Every month that went by, I thought something would go wrong, and 
one night, Corey uh, woke me up early. It was early in the night. She told me, I, I think we need to go to the hospital. And thankfully, the in-laws were visiting uh, in town. They were able to watch the twins while we went. And so we drove uh, about 20 miles to the hospital in Monroe, Wisconsin, and quickly checked into a room. And even then, I, I still didn't believe it. And hour after hour, we waited for his arrival. And then on May 11th, uh, 2016, 7.16 p.m., uh, Judah Michael Payne was born at 7.7 pounds and 21 and a half inches long. And the doctor handed me our youngest boy, and I looked into his face, and I broke. Like, I just literally broke. Every doubt I had broke. Every fear I had broke. Every hope I had was confirmed. Every prayer I, I had prayed was answered, and I looked into his face, and I just wept. Verse 2 says that the righteous will behold the wicked. That is certainly true. But it's verse 7 that says that the upright will behold his face. And though the foundations break and crash into the sea, the righteous will behold the face of their righteous king. That's what we must remember when it feels like it's all falling apart. That's our, our main point this morning. Remember that the upright will behold his face. Isaiah 41 10, fear not, uh, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord will give us strength. The Lord will help us. It's the Lord who will uphold us with his righteous hand. And one day the wickedness will all be destroyed. And one day those doubts will break. And one day those fears will cease. And one day the promise will be fully revealed because of the Lord. His children will one day behold his face. So let the song, Though You Slay Me, be true of us today, even if it does feel like it's all falling apart. That my heart and flesh may fail, the earth below give way, but with my eyes and with my eyes I'll still see the Lord. Lifted high on that day, behold the lamb that was slain, and I'll know every tear was worth it all. And though you slay me, yet I will praise you. And though you take from me, I will bless your name. And though you ruin me, still I will worship. If you have any questions from Psalm 11, I'd love to talk with you, but let's pray and then we'll sing together.